Get ready for high adventure with the new children's adventure series, The Only Living Boy. Harvey Award winners David Gallagher and Steve Ellis' critically acclaimed web series to print is now a riveting graphic novel exclusively from paper cuts. When Eric runs away from home, he finds himself lost without his memory on a patchwork planet under a broken moon. He may be the only living boy, but he's not alone. The world is filled with dangerous creatures fighting to decide who is the hunter and who is the hunted. He'll need help from mermaid warrior Morgan and Thea, an insect princess, to escape the foes pitted against them by the dreaded Lord Balakar and fiendish Dr. Once. Can Eric defeat their evil plans and find his way home? Mental Floss calls The Only Living Boy an all-ages adventure book inspired by pulp serials, Saturday morning cartoons, Jack Kirby, and even the music of Paul Simon. The Only Living Boy, Volume 1, Prisoner of the Patrick Planet, is on sale in bookstores everywhere on March 8th. Learn more at olbcomic.com. Sorcerer of the Black Arts, the Gold Helmet Faceless Vizier, the Death Fight of the Centaur on the Griffin, the Six-Armed Goddess of Evil. <laughs> the Flying Homunculus. Siren on a rampage. The duel with the vanishing sorcerer. <laughs> the one eyed centaur. Welcome to the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Network of Podcasts. I am, of course, your host. Did I say host? Host, Rob Kelly. Uh, joining me this week to talk about 1973's The Golden Voyage of Sinbad is our pal and returning guest, Andy Capellish. Andy, thanks for doing the show again. 
hey, no problem. Trust in Allah, but always tie up your camel. That's that's good advice, as we'll see. Uh, as yes, uh, as, as Andy suggests, we are going to talk about uh, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Uh, it is a Ray Harryhausen film. Uh, all his films are called Ray Harryhausen films, of course, even though he didn't direct any of them. But once Ray Harryhausen gets his hands on a movie, it's a Ray Harryhausen movie. Uh, I'm just going to do a very brief plot synopsis. Uh, Sinbad, played by John Philip Law from Danger Diabolic, is sailing the seven seas with his crew when a winged homunculus flies overhead. The homunculus is carrying a piece of a golden tablet, but it drops uh, the tablet, the piece, onto the deck of Sinbad's ship. Sinbad picks it up, puts it around his neck, and at night he has strange visions of a woman with an eye painted on her hand. Sinbad, uh, his ship gets blown off course and it ends up on the coast of a small town of a country called Marabou. There Sinbad runs into Prince Kura, played by future Doctor Who Tom Baker, who demands the tablet. Sinbad refuses and heads into town where he meets the Grand Vizier, uh, who wears a mysterious iron mask thanks to being burned in a fire set by Kura years earlier. Vizier tells Sinbad that this tablet has three pieces, and when put together, they point to the Fountain of Destiny. One, on the way to a beat court to the fountain, Sinbad meets a slave named Margiana, played by Caroline Monroe. More about that in a second. And a young kid named Haroon. Uh, Haroon's dad insists that the young son come along so he can uh, learn to be a man in exchange for Sinbad uh, bringing Margiana with him and her being uh, no longer a slave. At that point, it is basically a race to beat Prince Kura to find all the pieces of the tablet and head to the Fountain of Destiny where whoever gets it will uh, end up with uh, amazing powers. Uh, Andy, uh, when I mentioned this on Facebook a couple of weeks or months ago or something that I wanted to do this, you wrote me in all caps – that you absolutely have to come on the show to talk about this movie. So uh, here's your chance. Why do you love this movie so much, other than the fact it is completely awesome? Well, I mean, just uh, from the very moment that I, I put the VHS tape into my VCR. <laughs> I, this I, is not you know, an old this... episode, folks. This is a new show. Right. <laughs> I, I'm a VHS collector. Uh, hashtag VHS matter. Hashtag VHS collection. Anyways, so the uh, – so – I, I, I put it in, and I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was an older movie. Like, I, I kind of knew that, like, the Sinbad movies, like, had a reputation of being, like, like there's, like, ones from the 1940s. And I kind of thought that this was one of those. But I didn't look at the package because I float through life. But anyways, so I, I, I popped it in, and I was completely spellbound from the very first just opening, just shot. It was this, – this movie is – phenomenal the acting is top-notch especially for 1971 um there's a lot of like kind of like throwback uh sort of acting i guess uh like even further back than the 1970s and um i just love the pre-star wars special effects uh everything is sort of stop-motion animation or very rudimentary sort of i just i i just love the way that it looks i love the way that it sounds and I love the acting in it. And everything about it is just – and I know I'm being nonspecific right now, but, like, the, I have I have plot points later on. But the, 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 the point is is that this movie literally transports you to a different time, to a different world, and to that sort of fairy tale setting that just, like, I was just able to melt into it. And I just loved it just from the very first few images. It's, it's a phenomenal film. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I saw it uh, when I was a kid. I saw it in the theater. My my dad took me to this one and the later film, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. And I hadn't seen either one of them for a really for, for decades, actually. And I, I don't know why I never got around to watching them again because I love Ray Harryhausen movies. But 
I don't know. I just it just sort of fell through the cracks. And then a month or two ago, uh, my editor over at thirteenthdimension.com asked me uh, to review. Um, I think he he wanted to do something involving Caroline Monroe and don't we all? Uh, and he was like he was like he's like would you be she's hot? Oh, it's uh, <laughs> more, we'll, we will get to that in a moment because uh, there's so many things to talk about Caroline Monroe. But but hold on, uh, I'm going to lose my train of thought. Um, and so anyway, uh, Dan asked me, he's like, why don't you review, like, I think he maybe even specifically mentioned Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Sure, that'd be fun. Because it has to have, uh, all the movies that I review for, for the 13th Dimension have to have some sort of comic book component. And Marvel did an adaptation of this. So I was like, oh, okay, this will be perfect. So I watched it again, and I, like you, I just fell in love with it. I, for, I was like, how have I not watched this again in the intervening decades? It is a capital A adventure movie. And it is just so robust. It has such a much like uh, Sinbad himself, played by John Philip Law. It has such a gl- like a gleam in its eye. Uh, it's all full of death and, and horrible things, but it just has that just that classic swashbuckling feel to it. It is beautiful to look at, aside from Ray Harryhausen's effects, of which there are many. There's the winged homunculus, which I mentioned. There's a six-armed Kali statue that fights with swords. There's a centaur. So there, yeah, there's a there's a centaur, a, a griffin. Um, there's the, the the bow of the ship that comes alive. Uh, aside from all that, the colors. I mean, this movie is so beautiful. It, it's it. It, to me, there has not been a post-Star Wars movie that's looked like this, post-CGI movie, other than, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was, like, not afraid to have primary colors. All, all <laughs> I feel like all these movies nowadays that have CGI effects, they're all these gray sludge, you know? Uh, and this thing, it's just beautiful reds and greens and yellows and blues. It's just so beautiful to look at. And I love John Philip Law as Sinbad. He's tremendous. I say Caroline Monroe is one of the most beautiful women ever to appear in films. Uh, she appears as a slave, as I mentioned, Margiana, and her top is so low cut. I don't know how this movie's rated G. I, I really don't know how. I can't picture how any film board saw her heaving bosom and is like, "Yeah, that's a G. That's fine. yeah, this is for everybody." I, I can't she, imagine that. Her shirt is completely comprised of like four strips of cloth. <laughs> That have somehow been like safety pinned together. Um, not though, but you know what? She's it's sexy without being distracting. And I I know that there's a lot of like male gazy stuff in that statement. But let me just clarify that just the way that it, it it's very iconic, like the iconography uh, iconographic ideas uh, of like you know when you think of adventure stories or you think of things like that. Like it's it's very um, it doesn't take you out of the film. Like it's not sexy to be sexy. It's sexy, but it's part. It's like tied into the setting and the universe and the whatever. So it's like it's not like she's gorgeous, right? But like it's not like it's not dis- distracting. I mean, I was a little yeah. distracted. It feels of like- a, it, well, it is distracting, but in a good. It feels like it's of a piece with the movie. I mean, right. Sinbad is running around with his shirt open. I mean, these are everybody's everybody's ridiculously. Ha- I mean, John Philip Law is an amazingly handsome guy, so it it all fits. not disagreeing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even uh, even uh, uh, Tom Baker's bad guys a little a little bit you know a little bit sexy. 
Like, there's, there's a lot of good-looking people. Yeah, I mean, he's great in this. Uh, he's so hissable as the villain. I mean, he's, he's, oh. dressed, he's dressed in black from beginning to end, and he's a, the practitioner of dark magic. I mean, he's the one who creates the homunculus to get it to steal the uh, the tablet, and he's constantly sort of you know leaning over and sort of twirling his hands in that kind of <laughs> nefarious way. And um, apparently it was through this movie that he got the gig for Doctor Who. Really? That's. I yeah. mean, I, I, I'm not surprised. Uh, it's about the right time period. But the uh, every time he comes on screen, you just want to shout boo at him. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like it's like you know, you see the good guy, and then like you know, I don't know when it's like he's got about as much uh, uh, subtlety as the bad guy is. Like, you know, when the when the old wrestlers used to come out and like you know, right, right. you know, he's the bad guy. He's getting the black tights. You, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he threatens Sinbad. I mean, right in the beginning, he's like, basically, give give me that tablet. And Sinbad's like, why should I give you? What are you talking about? I'm not going to give this to you. And then he threatens, he, he puts his hand over his sheathed blade as like, you better give me the tablet. And Sinbad's like, I'm not putting up with that. And this is, that's when he goes into town. And he meets, he meets the Grand Vizier. And I love the look of the Grand Vizier. He wears this iron, uh, gold, uh, metal, gold metal mask. Uh, they said because he's been burned in a fire and he's apparently too hideous to look at, although we do get a big, <laughs> big close up of him later on. Um, right. Yeah. But the, 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 the mask is gorgeous. I mean, it looks classic. It looks fantastic. Uh, something else I want to mention before I forget, cause I always forget to mention stuff. There is a scene where they go to visit, um, a character called the Oracle. And this guy is your classic, you know, what's going on, you know, like he's like a, a genie kind of person. They call him the, right. or, the Oracle of All Knowledge. And he is uh, – he, he, his face comes alive in this fire that starts – he is played under heavy makeup and a voice modulator by Robert Shaw, Quint from Jaws. Uh, oh, man. I, I, I read that before I saw the movie and I was like, why is Robert Shaw in this movie – and I looked it up, and apparently he was a giant fan of Sinbad, and he wanted to play Sinbad, and he didn't get the part. Oh. Which, and so he took this as like a gag role. I'm trying to picture nice. Robert Shaw wanting to be in a Sinbad movie because at the time he did very highbrow stuff. He was in The Man for All Seasons. He was, you know, an actor, a big name actor. And I'm trying to picture a guy wanting to be in a Sinbad movie, but apparently he did. So he took this little gag role of the Oracle of All Knowledge, and you can't really tell that it's him. Because uh, he's under heavy, heavy green makeup, and he's, I, he's got horns, and he's under fire. But it's a it's a great visual. I mean, it's scary and weird, and he's telling Sinbad, "Got to be careful because of this or that." It's it's a tremendous sequence. I love that makeup. Like I was I was watching it, and I was like, and like I'm a big fan of like sci-fi and fantasy stuff, uh, pretty obviously. But like the the just and as a sort of an artist and a graphic designer, just from a design standpoint. Like I don't understand why that that image isn't on more things because from a, from like like from a cult movie status like that I mean like you know you see a lot of like the stuff from like uh, uh, oh Tim Curry's demon character from Legend and right, right. you know uh, uh, things things like that but like just like the makeup with the horns and the and just like the big giant fangs like it, it, it's just I don't know and like the effects through the fire the effects in this movie are like I said like they're you know pre Star Wars so they're old school but they're they're just the way that they're shot just it like they're campy but it just adds to the atmosphere they're all atmospheric uh enhancing effects so i i just i love it i love that makeup yeah it's i I love it's a great character and uh, i really love the fact that robert shaw sort of had 
not so little an ego that he would just do that part as a gag and just and not get credit for it. I just I love that idea entirely. Um, what it's like in terms of the Ray Harryhausen effects, is there one of the as one sequence that you like more than the rest? Because there's a couple okay. of really tremendous parts in this. There's there's I'm going to mention two of them. Uh, and I can't, I can't choose between the two, so you're just going to get two of them. The, fair fair um, enough, the, the, the one, the, the first, I guess the first one that I noticed is everything with the homunculus is phenomenal. The way that they do it, the way that he looks, the way that he acts. Um, I have a, a dog that's part Boston Terrier and part pug. And just every time I look at it, like just the movements remind me so much of my dog that I was instant, like just instantly, involved or like this like i like i love this little homunculus thing like look at it it's amazing it's got like a goofy little face and he's like do, doing little monkey movements it's phenomenal and also the way that they shoot it and just like the way that it looks is just great and i mean all the other stuff like the the you know the the um sort of stop motion stuff is great but my other favorite effect is the crumbling edifice of the many-faced temple just like the way that like it's sort of like cr- like the way it crumbles um, when he, when like Sinbad gets like locked underground basically by mm-hmm. uh, 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 the bad guy, like I just I love the way that it just like I don't know how they did it, but it just like the way that it falls, it just looks so cartoony, so comic booky. I just I I love it. I just I love that. I've, I've rewound and watched that like nine times just because <laughs> like the first time I saw, it, I was like, this is great. Like this is just so cool. Do you have one? Uh, I really love the, the, the six armed Kali, uh, statue where they, they uh, fight Sinbad. Yeah. And I love the fact that, uh, I, I read this looking up is that the stunt coordinator tied two of his stuntmen together with a giant belt and had them run around, uh, and, and, and duel John Philip Law so he could get a sense of how to fight a six armed guy. I just love that. I, I, I would love to see a picture of the two stuntmen strapped together. Uh, with a giant belt running around like they're a person, I think that, that that just cracks me up. But I just think it's such a nice, it's such a great effect. Just having this this stone creature with these six six arms and they're flying the swords around. But I was just gonna just interject real quickly about the scene where he throws her the sword, and then the other six swords sort of like fold out of her hands. Mm-hmm. Like that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it really is a, a wonderful thing, and it it it's it's uh, the Cali is the thing that sort of um is the monster that is involved with the the storyline of uh, Haroon, the young boy, because that's a whole angle. Is that the the when uh, Sinbad meets this slave owner uh, who owns Margie, uh, Magiana, uh he has the son who's a flipper to gibbet, and the kid just sits around all day and doesn't do anything, and so. When Sinbad demands, not demands, but he asks for Margiana to be freed, the the slave owner says, well, take my son and teach him to be a man. And it's during that sequence that Haroon shows some some uh, some bravery, and that that's his story arc. So that's yeah, amid yeah. all this other stuff, that's a great little detail that Haroon becomes a man through all the, you know, all this adventures with Sinbad. And related to that, the thing with the, uh, the, thing with the slave, I love that when the, he brings Margiana back to his boat, she assumes that she is his property now because she's she's only known the life of a slave and uh and she's the one she uh, i mentioned in the dream that he pictures a woman with an eye painted on her hand well that's what margiana has she has this eye painted on her hand she assumes that she's now sinbad's slave and he's very clear no 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 you're free you're not anybody's slave and then there's the great at the end of the scene where he asks her to make him a drink and she takes it as it's an as if it's an order, 
And so it's sort of like he seems like he's going back on his thing about where she's not a slave. And then he he leaves the room and she kind of has this pensive look on her face like, OK, maybe I am his slave again. And he opens the door and he goes, please. And shuts the door again. And I love that just a little <laughs> detail. Sinbad's a nice guy. He's just like, no, no, no. I, you're, you know, could you please get me that drink? You're, you're not my slave anymore. I love that detail. And, you know, again, Carolyn Monroe, it's just, it's just <laughs> like, it's, you know, you don't want to get into all things where you're sounding creepy, but she is just so unbelievably beautiful in this movie. I don't know actress wise how great she was. The, the stuff I've seen her in, The Spy You Love Me, she's not, she doesn't say a whole lot. Um, but she is, she has movie star looks and she fits in so well with this kind of universe. I mean, she looks sort of old school in a certain way. Uh, and you know, the whole film is not riddled with dialogue, with hard dialogue to say. So she's, she fits in really quite well. I and mean, she, she's a great addition to it. And I found it interesting that when they did the comic book version, Marvel did the comic book version drawn by George Tusca and Vince Coletta, they really kind of dull her down. Because you just could not put someone that looked like <laughs> Caroline Monroe in a Marvel comic book in 1973. I just think you could get away with it because the comics. Well, code, I mean, the comics code would have been like, "What are you doing?" Well, what about? Um, oh gosh, I can't. His, I'm blanking. But uh, when you were talking about the uh, the Red Sonia guy, oh Frank the, Thorne, um, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh man, if they had had Frank Thorne draw the Golden Voyage, <laughs> great googly moogly. That would have been. It, yeah, it would have. It yeah. Um, a, a, a treasured heirloom uh, keepsake that would oh. pass down to generations. Um, I was actually, I'm friends with this guy online called uh, David E. Martin, uh, who's actually uh, used to work for like TSR. And he also worked on a lot of the, um, like the Marvel role-playing game back in the 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, late seventies and early eighties. Anyways, um, he's like an illustrator guy, but he, he actually was talking about this after I had saw it or just a little bit before. Um, but I, I noticed his post and it said that he was talking about how Carolyn Monroe was the and specifically in this in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad was the inspiration for Talia al Ghul, or at least somehow like they were connected. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Just like the way that like sort of like Talia looks and stuff. Mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Yep. So whether it's a fan theory or an actual thing, like I was like, oh, that's cool. Like it's like you know connected to comic books as well, not just the adaptation, but you know the the thing. So. Yeah, they cover that a little bit actually on the column that I wrote, the Real Retro Cinema. My editor in- injected because he did this whole thing for Neil Adams Month where they talk about that, uh, that you know, could possibly Caroline Monroe, Caroline Monroe would have been an amazing Talia Agul. And Christopher Lee, of course, would have been a perfect, uh, uh, how do you say it? Raish? Raul? Raul? Raz? Uh, uh- I, I, I say Raz al Ghul. Raz al Ghul, okay. I, Daniel Adams and I go round and round about that. But anyways. <laughs> like, could you, ima- could you imagine a 70s Batman movie with oh. Christopher Lee as Raz al Ghul and Caroline Monroe as Talia? It would have been the greatest just, movie anybody ever saw. Like, you know, just like, like well, I mean, and especially if he channeled just like the way that he did Lord Summer Isle, mm-hmm. like that very like cold calculator you know just like sort of like matter of fact like like yes we're going to raise the world because you know it's the pollutants you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yep. that would be oh man that would be who would you cast as batman in like 1973 74 you know i that's a, that's a tough call i mean i feel like john philip law probably might have been pretty good i mean he just kind of because john philip law just kind of i don't know if you've ever seen danger diabolic but he's no, that I, I, I actually, when you said it, I wrote it down. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's tremendous like, in that. Too, too new. Yeah. And you 
only see his eyes through most of the movie because he wears a, a form-fitting black jumpsuit. And he just he just has that kind of like – again, I mentioned like a gleam in his eye where it just looks like he's having so much fun. And you know that Batman, he might not have been – that might have been not the right take for Batman in 1973. But I would have – it would have been interesting to see. Um, and it's funny. Christopher Lee was actually in the running for Prince Cora in this movie. Uh, it went to Tom Baker. I'm going to assume that was probably a money thing. Uh, Tom Baker, I'm sure Tom Baker, Tom Baker was a lot cheaper than Christopher Lee would have been, but, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, um, that would have been just, yeah, that's a Batman film that just like, it's so sad that we never got to see that. Um, one thing else I wanted to mention before I forget is there's, uh, when Prince Kura talks, uh, and he does his, he summons his dark spirits, it's all just gibberish. He's just saying, you know, just (laughs) syllables. If you watch the film, uh, with the captions on, uh, the person doing the captions decided to have a little fun because if you read the closed captions for when Prince Kor does his spells, they say "Susuf Akakak Rof Ukuk Mai," which backwards is "I'm cuckoo for cocoa puffs," and then <laughs> he later says "Tibar Illis Ulno Sidik Rofra Zert," which is "Tricks are for kids only, silly rabbit." So <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't they don't have the subtitle feature on the VHS unfortunately, no. so I'll have to track down the streaming or the DVD at some point. It's, yeah, th- this was put on a set of uh, DVDs and Blu-rays with other Harryhausen films, and I haven't bought it because it's it's out of print and it's a fairly expensive set. But I want to get it because I said it is just so it's just such a beautiful movie. Like I said, it's it is a uh, I mentioned it's a capital A adventure movie. It has beautiful locales. The matte paintings are fantastic. Uh, it's like I said, as I mentioned, Tom Baker is great. All the acting is is really nice. It move it pace wise. If kids grow, kids today raised on kids today, uh, raised on. <laughs> you know, I think if you've been raised on the thing, but like Michael Bay movies, this uh, Golden Voyage Sinbad is probably glacially paced. But I think anybody that any kid that could appreciate Star Wars would love this because it just. The set pieces move a little on the slow side, but it's it's each one is so much fun, and it the story is so involving, and the, all the character designs are so compelling that I think any even little kid would really enjoy it. Because I said it's just a really fun, just big A adventure movie. I keep saying that, but I can't think of a better compliment because it just has well, that. It's, uh, yeah, that's it, it's that's a pretty perfect description of like what's going on. But yeah, if you can, if like a kid can sit through Empire Strikes Back. I can right. consider this. Like, um, uh, I, I did want to mention the um, uh, when you're talking about the uh, um, uh, just like the set pieces and just like the sort of like uh, even how that ties into the pacing. Like, it's one of those things where it's like there's never not something to look at. So it's it's not like one of these movies where it's like you know it's like two talking heads in a room not saying anything or you know uh, I mean it's just like it's even if you're like oh like another landscape but like that ties into the whole thing you know mm-hmm. where it's like every single part of it is sort of like connected it's very organic the way that it flows together and um, you know and a lot of the and also like you know it's like okay so this is so far removed from the real world that like, it's like, it's easy to kind of just like, like I said, like you just meld into the movie. Like you just, you're in that universe. Um, so like, you know, even when there's like, I was like, you know, I saw the, uh, green skinned kiss members and I was like, right, oh, right, right. this, this could go very wrong very quickly. Like I was like, please don't, please don't make me have to turn this off because of, you know, and in, you know, insensitivity reasons or make me eye roll. But like, you know, it's like, you know, they, it, I think that they would be like, you know, orcs or something if they would have had prosthetics. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's one of those things where it's just like, 
they're not even like, you know, they're, they're obviously it's, it's, everything is just very swashbuckly adventure. Um, and it's just like, you know, and also like, it's, it feels like the stakes are like, obviously like the stakes are like super high, but they're like super high for like regionally super high. It's not like, Oh, like if Sinbad doesn't like get these golden, like get the three pieces or whatever, or the four pieces and like, you know, um, it's not like the world's going to end, but it is going to mess everything up in the region. And right. so like, the bad that's guy's like, going to, so bad guy's going to have yeah. all this unbelievable power. So yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I just thought that was kind of refreshing because nowadays everything's like, if you like the galaxy is doomed or the universe right. is doomed or, you know, the, the whole entire world is doomed, but it was nice to see like, well, you know, also things can get pretty bad at the local level as well. So <laughs> Think globally, act locally. That's Sinbad's uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Sinbad's motto. Yeah, it's funny what you mentioned about the, the in terms of the, the, the village of the Greenskin uh, cave people. Because, yeah, this film's budget was less than a million dollars, which even for 1973 was, was peanuts. I mean, I, and I think, I think that has something to do with Ray Harryhausen coming from, you know, an old school kind of mentality. I think his films, I mean, he was the co-producer with Charles Schneer and they did all their, those other movies that, you know, Earth, Three Worlds of Gulliver, Mysterious Island, and Jason and the Argonauts and all that stuff. I think those guys just sort of knew how to spend money properly and not go uh-huh. crazily over budget. And this thing made $11 million. So for wow. a, a budget of a, a budget of nine hundred eighty-two grand, it made eleven million, which is an amazing return. And it confounds me a little that when they made the sequel, which is Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, they didn't get the same crew back. Uh, it's a different actor playing Sinbad. It's a different. It's all completely different. It's, there's nothing similar other than it's Sinbad again, which is too bad. I like Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, and it has Jane Seymour in it, who is a you know perfectly all fine. Right. Uh, yeah, you know. But I would have loved to have seen John Philip Law again do this because I guess another, I thought he was just another bond girl yeah yeah nice yeah yeah that was that was again i saw that one when i was a kid that really instilled my love of like you know i jane seymour at a young age i was like you know <laughs> I, I didn't know back then i was six i was like i don't understand i had the same reaction to uh, miss tessmacher in superman i'm like i don't know why i like miss <laughs> tessmacher i just know that i do <laughs> it's, it's really good but, uh, yeah i I like my era, Jane Seymour, when I was growing up was like Dr. Quinn medicine woman. And I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then like, but then like I saw, um, Oh, the movie, like, I think it's called time after time where Christopher, oh, Reeve, Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeve right, goes yep. back in time Some, and falls in, in love with somewhere her in the 1800s. Yeah. Somewhere in time. Somewhere in time. That's it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the, that's a great movie. And I saw her and I was like, I can understand why people like Jane Seymour so much. So yeah. oh, <laughs> she's a I great see. actor. Yeah, I, mean, I loved her in, in the James Bond, the, the Man with the Golden Gun. So, uh, oh, yeah. Or not Man with the Golden Gun. I'm sorry, Live and Let Die. was Solitaire. She was just tremendous in that. So, yeah. Yes, it's, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Voyage, yeah, Golden Voyage of Sinbad is just, it's just a tremendous, tremendous amount of fun. Uh, there had not been a Sinbad movie for almost 15 years before this. I guess it just it took Ray Harryhausen that long to do all these things. <laughs> it just sat there with these little puppets go on and on and on and – uh, but it's, it's, it's just a great movie. It's just a really fun adventure. It's perfect for all ages. I think as an adult, you can get something out of it, the visual. And like I said, and you were, you were talking about how all the scenes move really, really well. And like the thing with the Grand Vizier, the Grand Vizier has a lot of, uh, of, of scene, scene setting. 
you know, he's the one who explains, oh, Prince Kor is looking for this. This is what the founder of Destiny is going to do. But having the guy in that mask is such a great visual that it gets you through all that. It gets you through all the text descriptions. And at the end, where he, he ends up taking his mask off to scare the green-skinned cave people, it's horrible. It's really pretty <laughs> grotesque. Again, for yeah. a G movie... He looks. He looks. Reminds me of uh, those uh, those underground alien people. Not aliens. Those underground people from Beneath the Planet of the Apes, with all the nuclear scarring on their faces and their faces. I haven't. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, I'm still working my God. way through the Apes oh. movies. But um, uh, which I didn't. I, like I saw the Tim Burton one in like 2001 oh. Oh, or I'm in sorry. the theaters. <laughs> uh, yeah. Listen, I, I I love Paul Giamatti in that movie. Uh, but the rest of it's pretty much garbage. So, anyways. But like uh, uh, I recently started rewatching them. I watched the one of the new ones, uh, the second one I think, and then I went back and I, I just started watching the uh, the first Apes movie, the the original Planet of the Apes, and I love it. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I oh I'm, my I god, Andy, get, stop what you're doing that. and go watch that. Yeah. God's sake. <laughs> oh, um, oh, don't forget though. Uh, if there's one thing that we learned in this, in this, in this, is that no matter how much of a, a special effects wizard you are. You can't make a puppet Sinbad look good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing where I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I was like, it just, like, that that one effect was the only one where I was just like, this is not the standard of the rest of them. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. There's a certain charm to it. Could you just know it's just one old guy in a room by himself? <laughs> yeah, right. something so charming about that, that, that. And he never seemed to lose that. And talk about gleam in your eye. He never seemed, I mean, Ray Harry doesn't live to be about, I think, 94. And he just always seemed like he was having fun and just he just enjoyed his life and enjoyed what he did. And it's you can sort of see that on the screen. You just you just sort of get that feeling of he's just he just all that guy wanted to do was create little funny creatures and make them come alive. And he got to do that, you know, and, and he and, did it yeah. very well. And he like did the, it very well. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 centaur, uh, uh, the uh, Cyclops centaur. Right. Uh, like I, when I first saw that, I was like, OK, what's going to go on here? And then when it fights the griffin, yeah. that's amazing. That's a great fight. Like, it's a great cinema fight. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's 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 wonderful. I think I can only imagine how long it took to do all that stuff. It's just like, <laughs> what a patient guy! It's just unbelievable. And it said he was one of those guys. Just everyone loved him. I don't know. I've never heard anything ever bad to say about Ray Harryhausen. Everybody just found him delightful. And he does the uh, audio commentary for King Kong because that was, of course, one of his big influences. And he's like a little kid, you know. He's a, <laughs> he just sounds like a little kid. He's so overjoyed with King Kong and talking about all the puppetry and stuff like that. So. Yeah, you can you just feel the love that Ray Harryhausen had for these creatures, and and to me, some of his films not as good as others. Some are a little duller than others. Like I feel like Jason and the Argonauts, the scenes that are not Ray Harryhausen scenes, I feel drag a little. But this mm-hmm. movie, it does not. It just moves you from one thing to the next, and even the stuff that is not a special effects is is entertaining and uh, involving. And again, you can't beat Caroline Monroe. You just you just can't do it. I mean, she's just oh. one of the great. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And uh, I was just going to say uh, to your point, too, um, the background characters of like it's kind of like it reminds me a little bit of like Return of the Jedi, where like uh, you just like see like the, the gaggle of like pirate dudes mm-hmm. or whatever. But like they're never like they're never like I don't know, like for whatever reason, just flavor wise or setting wise, like all of them are perfect. 
all of them are just like sort of like like Sinbad will say like one or two things to one of them or like one or two things to the other and and they're all really good actors but it's just like you're just like sitting there and you're like okay like this feels like this feels and breathes like a real like like even though it's obviously sort of fantastical and sort of you know you're watching uh, a movie that's not real or you know doesn't it doesn't ever try to feel real the, the interactions between the people are sold very well like it's like one of those things where it's like you can like the way that Sinbad talks to his crew or talks to the people around him he feels like a real like a real person would mm-hmm. act mm-hmm. I guess in that situation and like also like the way that they just like sort of like interact and stuff it's like okay Sinbad's been doing this for a long time like the way that they use sort of the the, the scenery and the background characters to show Sinbad's character is done really really super well in this movie and um, I uh, uh, actually uh, you know Greg Hatcher uh, from the uh, sometimes he does stuff with Mike Gillis's Radio versus the Martian yeah sure, um, sure but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he's your friend on Facebook and stuff. But the um, uh, he actually uh, writes Sinbad stories sometimes, and I can't remember for the life of me uh, what what uh, publication he does that for. But I was reading some of it, and uh, he also has a really good grasp of of Sinbad's voice. And when that's done correctly, it just looks really it's just like just like you really like that character. Like you really like Sinbad and he's not this brute. He's not like a, you know, like a, a person who's like, you're, he's always morally right. And I feel like that's like, there's no ambiguity in that character. He's like, slavery's wrong. I'm going to, you know, kill the bad guy, but only if he deserves it or mm-hmm, there's no mm-hmm. other option. Like, I just, I don't know. I just, I love Sinbad and now I'm going to go back and I'm starting to get like Sinbad crazy. I'm going to go back and start <laughs> looking at other Sinbad properties and, uh, uh, see if there's any 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 jewels in there too. Well, we'll have to watch uh, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, and then you'll come back for that one. Oh yeah, I'll have to find it on VHS. But <laughs> yeah. other than that minor stipulation, I'm sure you'll be able to find it for five cents on on eBay. Like so. so yeah, anyway, it's it's just it's a great movie all around. I I didn't mention that the music is by Miklos Rocha, which was one of Ray Harryhausen's favorite composers. The score is tremendous. It's just great all the way all the way through. Whether you watch it on VHS or DVD or Blu-ray, it's it's just a whole a whole lot of fun. So. I think we should just wrap up here. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk? You want to say about Golden Voyage of Sinbad before we wrap up, Andy? If you haven't watched it, go watch it. I'm, I, you, you will not spend a better uh, hour and a half, two hours. It's, it's such a good film. It's, it's just, just watch it. Just, just go and find it and watch it. It's amazing. It's a great movie. It, it will enrich you, uh, and it will give you uh, uh, just, just hours of joy. Even afterwards, you'll just, you'll just be thinking about it. And you'll think, man. That's a great movie, and it is. Absolutely. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Film and Water Podcast. Andy, thank you so much for coming back and doing it. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, you can find me on – the best place to find me is uh, at 1138reference on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff up there, and you can see my sweet VHS finds and <laughs> see, my, uh, see my Ewok action figures. Um, and then uh, that's – or uh, you can look me up on Facebook. Uh, I, I believe I'm uh, Andrew C. Capellish or Andy Capellish. I can't remember. So anyways, but I'm, I'm, I'm around. If, if you follow Fire and Water or Film and Water or any of the other derivative uh, – 
uh, not derivative, but the other. Uh, what's, what, what am I looking for? They're con- tangentially connected. Uh, the the of, fire and water other, universe the podcast on the network. Let's, let's right. It, yes, that's what, what I'm looking for. Anyways, if you are around fire and water, you'll you'll see where I am. So anyway, anyways, absolutely. thanks so much for having me. And yes, absolutely, uh, I'm going to track down the next film, and I'd love to talk to you about it because I love Sinbad now. Very so cool. great, thank you. So yeah, as always, if you want to reach us, you can just use the contact page over on our website, which is Fire and Water Podcast. You can follow the whole network over on Twitter, which is FW Podcast, or this show uh, specifically on Twitter, which is Film and Water Pod. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to next week. Until then, that's a wrap. The fantastic becomes the real. The legendary becomes the living. Sinbad battles the creatures of legend. See his spectacular adventures in the miracle of Diana. Sail with Sinbad to adventure beyond belief. See it all in the miracle of Diana. Rated G.